James chapter 4, if you have your Bibles. I actually found this uh, illustration, did a little bit more digging, and found out that the little rebel is SUNY, State University of New York's newspaper. They're the ones who reported this story back in 2014. Broke college students, three of them, bought a $20 sofa from a second-hand shop. To their amazement, they found an envel- envelopes of money stuffed inside the couch to the tune of $40,000. Reese Werkhoven, one of the students, said, It's the most money I've ever found in a couch was like 50 cents. And who needs more, who needs money more than broke college students? But Laura Russo, Russo, another student, found an envelope that had a woman's name on it. Laura said, we have a moral, uh, we had a lot of moral decisions about the money. We all agreed that we had to bring the money back to whom it belonged. It was their money. We didn't earn it. So the students uh, did some digging and found the woman's contact information. Reese called the woman, and the three students piled into a car with the money. After arriving at a creaky old house in a rough neighborhood, they were greeted by a friendly 91-year-old woman, her daughter and her granddaughter, for years, her late husband requested that the woman had been, uh, uh, re, uh, the late husband's request, the woman had been squirreling away money in the couch until she had dumped it at the Salvation Army. The reward for the honest college students was $1,000 each with a mighty big thank you. In the text we're going to read... James is making a statement, and we'll put it in context a little later in the sermon, that there are things that when we, we should do in life. Many times when we think of the issue of sin, we think of what we're, what, what we're doing or what we're not doing. Like, oh, I didn't murder somebody today. But James says this quote, James 4.17, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. They all basically say the same thing. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is a sin. Now again, when we think of the issue of sin, I want to focus in on this, because what we normally do when it comes to the issue of sin, we get out our little checklist, right? I didn't commit a sin. You commit murder. You commit adultery. You commit larceny. And we check these off. They just, okay, I didn't steal. I didn't lie. I didn't cheat. I didn't do out of the list now John tells us in 1 John 5.17, all wickedness, all unrighteousness in most translations, actions are sin. But not every sin leads to death. Unrighteousness, we, we know that. 1 Corinthians tells us that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 
9 and 10 gives us a list. Those who indulge in sexual sins, those who worship idols, commit adultery, or are male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality, or are thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or abusive, or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. So we get out our little checklist and we're saying, okay, I didn't kill anybody today. I didn't, you know, uh, do these things. And we manage to go through those and we draw those lists and we think we're doing okay because we didn't do certain bad things. And we know that those would be what the Bible calls sin. To miss the mark. And yet James says here that the issue isn't what you do, it's what you fail to do. That is an equal to sin. And in our minds, we think, well, we didn't do bad. I must be doing okay. And James says, if you didn't do what you were supposed to do, it's as if you had committed adultery, murder, larceny. This is all through the Bible. Malachi 3.8 Would people cheat or rob God? Yet you have cheated and robbed me. But you ask, what do you mean? Whenever did we cheat you or rob you? He says, you have robbed me or cheated me of the tithes and the offerings due me. Now, many people would think, well, I didn't rob the church. Ron Bannett, a dear brother, a pastor that's passed on, gone to be with Jesus, told us a story one time of how he was pastoring in the Bronx and as he's pastoring there, he puts in a hundred dollar bill into the offering. But what was interesting, by the time the plates got to the back of the room, the hundred dollar bill was gone. And we'd go, ooh, what kind of person would steal? And God says, if you don't pay your tithe, you're doing the same thing. But we can check our conscience a little better because we didn't actually take it out of the offering. He who knows what to do and fails to do it, it's sin. This goes throughout the old Bible. Ezekiel 3, 17 and 18. Son of man, I have appointed you as a watchman for Israel. And whenever you receive a message from me, warn the people immediately. And if I warn the wicked, saying you are under the penalty of death, but uh, but you fail to warn the uh, you, but you fail to warn them, they will die in their sins. But I will hold you responsible for their deaths. It says if I tell you that there's a warning, you've got to warn people, and you don't, they're going to pay the price of their consequences of their actions. But you lose, you're responsible because of what you failed to do. Saul was told to deal with the Amaleks, the children of Amalek, the Amalekites. He said, you're going to go down there, 
because they had abused and attacked the people of God and had been bad to them, he said, you're going to take, you're going to wipe them out. And Saul goes down and he attacks them. Uh, but what happens is they get there and there's some really nice sheep there and there's some, you know, and he keeps the king alive and such. And Samuel comes to him in 1 Samuel 15, 13 through 15. And when Saul, Samuel finally found him, Saul greeted him cheerfully. May the Lord bless you, he said. I have carried out the Lord's command. Then what's the bleeding of sheep and goats and the lowing of cattle I hear, Samuel demanded. Oh, it's true, the army spared some of the best sheep and goats and cattle, Saul admitted. But they're going to sacrifice to, to the Lord. and We've destroyed everything else. It's very fascinating here that he has the ability to justify himself. We did what God told us to do. No, you failed to do what you were supposed to do. You didn't do. He didn't go out and do bad things that day. He was obeying God. He just didn't finish what he was supposed to do. Judges 21 tells us about the Benjamites, how they didn't come to battle and how it ends up becoming a fight against them and such because they failed to do what they were supposed to do. Esther is warned, if you fail, you'll perish. Esther 4.14 If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. But you and your relatives will die. Who knows whether you were made queen for such a time as this. That throughout the Bible, you get this impression, and we're going to look at a few more in just a minute with some hope, but first I got to get you there. But the reality is that, you know what? There are things that we fail to do. And because we didn't check a box, I didn't do a certain sin today, I feel like I'm okay. Now let's think about why people fail to do what is right. One is because they don't think about it as sin. Because, like I said, they get their checklist, the Ten Commandments, and they've got those down, and they're okay. And they don't think that, you know what, your failure to do what God's told you to do is a sin. We don't want to think about it in that terms. We want to think about it as, oh, I was struggling, or uh, we'll look at some, I had some other things to do, or whatever. But this is true in life as well. You can get a ticket for speeding. And you can get a ticket for not having your car inspected. Something you fail to do. Something you committed. You committed speed. I had a friend one time he got pulled over and he cast the spirit of speed out of the car. And as he was leaving from the police, he actually peeled the tires out. <laughs> and he realized the demon of speed was not in the car. <laughs> it was in his heart. Your job, you have things to do when you go to work. 
And if you fail to do them, you won't get paid. You won't receive. We don't see it as sin. When it comes to the things of God, we don't see it as sin. We see it as my decision. I don't agree. He who knows what to do, doesn't do it. Matthew 25, 41 through 43, And the king will turn to those on his left and say, Away from you, you cursed ones, into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry, and you did not feed me. I was thirsty, and you did not give me a drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me into your home. I was naked, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Their sins are not, and you killed 45 people, and you robbed 16 banks, and you sold crack on the corner, and you committed adultery. None of those. It's what they failed to do. That God says, depart from me. You are worthy of the same hell as those who have committed those things. Not my words, Jesus' words. The parable of the sheep and the goats is not just those who have seemingly done bad. It's those who fail to do good. Luke 16 tells us the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus says there's a priest. He's walking. There's a man who's on the road. He's beat up. He's stole. He's ripped off. He's left naked, half dead. The first one that comes upon him is a priest. And passes by. The second one is a Levi, a worker of the temple. And passes by. Finally, a Samaritan puts him on the donkey, takes him into town, pays for him his hotel, says, get him better, does it all, puts it that way. Jesus makes the point that these two failed to do what is right. When I began to study this, fascinated to me how people, how many Bible illustrations there are And that's number one. People don't think it's a sin. I choose not to witness, pray, read my Bible, pay my tithe, come to church. I choose that. I'm okay. He who knows what to do, doesn't do it. To him it's sin. It's a wrong view of God. It's a wrong view of yourself. The parable of the talents. The servant who was given one bag of silver came to his master saying, I knew you were harsh, man, harvesting crops where you did not plant and gathering crops where you did not cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money. So I hid it in the earth and here's your money back. And the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew... How I harvested crops where I did not plant and gathered where I did not cultivate. Why didn't you deposit my money into the bank? At least I would have gotten some interest. I did nothing. You know, it's interesting, God, Jesus uses the word wicked there. That's not used with the woman caught in adultery. Or the demoniac. It's used 
and the person who failed to do what they knew they should do. Fear and unbelief is a big reason. People get, oh, well, if I do it, what's going to happen? How will this work out? How would it be good? It's a wrong view of God. It's a wrong view of faith. Nelson Mandela said, it's, it always seems impossible until it's done. There's others who will pay lip service and say yes and think that absolves them. As long as I say I will do, but I never do it. As long as I keep saying it, I'll be okay. Matthew 21, 28 through 31. Jesus says, but what do you think about this? A man with two sons told the older boy, son, go to work in my vineyard today. And the son answered, no, I won't go. But later he changed his mind and went. And the father told the other son, you go. And he said, yes, sir, I will. But he did not go. Which of the two boys obeyed their father? The first one, they replied, Jesus then explained the meaning, I tell you the truth that tax collectors and prostitutes will go into the kingdom of God before you do. Paying lip service, we somehow appease ourselves by saying we will. This is why gym memberships, people will pay and renew gym memberships and never go. Because as long as I'm paying for it, in fact, Fascinating study in America. The rise of obesity and the rise of the gym actually parallel. Because people either feel like they can go to the gym and then eat more. Now I can eat a whole half gallon of Haagen-Dazs. Or, just because they have the membership and pay a lip service to working out, I'm good. I'm okay then. Lip service is never enough. You have to act on what God's telling you, and it has to line up with the Bible. If it doesn't line up with the Bible, I can tell you it's not God. God's not telling you to divorce your wife and marry someone else. I can guarantee God's not telling you that. Our text says, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it's sin. Another part of lip service is, I'll do it later. Teenagers are great at that. Cut the line, I'll do it later. Break the yard, I'll do it later. Clean your room, I'll do it later. Wash the dish, I'll do it later. And most of the time, later never comes. And then what do they say when it's done? I was going to. You think that's going to work with Jesus? You think you're going to stand before the Savior with the scarred hands and say, you know, Lord, I know you dealt with me for 20 years to do that. 
And I was going to get to it next week, but the rapture happened, and would you believe it? Now I can't. You really think that's going to work when you stand before Jesus. The other thing, and this is not a complete list at all, but our text tells us because people were busy doing other things. I... um, all right, let me read the text, and I, I want to read it from the message version, the actual context of the text. It begins in verse 13, and it says, Now I have a word for you who brashly announced today, at the latest tomorrow, we're off to such and such a city for a year. We're going to start a business and make lots of money. You do not know the first thing about tomorrow. You're nothing but a wisp of fog catching a brief bit of sunlight before disappearing. And instead of making it a habit to say, if the master wills and we're alive, we will do this or that. As it is, you're full of grievous self. And all such vaunting self-importance is evil. In fact, if you know the right thing to do and do do, do, uh, don't do it. That, for you, is evil. So throughout, oh, well, I was doing other things. I was speaking with Brian Renz. Brian Renz is the head of security in Prescott, in the Prescott Church, and we were talking about the building project and when we were doing that and certain people... He had witnessed to a guy and he got saved. So I was asking him if it was one of the electricians who had worked on the building. And he said, no. We were talking about a few other people. And, and it was fascinating to me that in that there was a, a man who worked for the sheetrockers. And this guy was very helpful. Whenever we needed someone to drive one of the big lifts, he was always available. Found out later, shortly after he did the job at the Potter's House in Prescott, he was fired. And I said, why? He was fired. Why Why was he fired? He said, well, because he always had the tool belt on. And the reason why he was always available is he never hung sheetrock. He'd always walk around, take measurements, do that. Always wanted to help the other trades, but never did what he was supposed to do. And his company finally said, you're out of here. We can't, you know, we, you know, we don't hire people to help the HVA, HVAC guys. We're sheetrockers. Or the electricians were sheetrockers. He was let go. The prophet Elijah wants to catch King Ahab. King Ahab had just gone to battle against Assyria and had the king of Assyria as a prisoner. And he let him go. The enemy of the people of God, and he let him go. Called him brother and let him go. So God tells Elijah to have somebody hit him in the head and he puts a bandage on so that the king won't recognize him. And as the king passed by, the prophet called out, this is 1 Kings 20, 39 and 40. 
Sir, I was in the thick of battle, and suddenly a man brought to me a prisoner. And he said, Guard this man, for by the reason if he gets away, you'll either die or pay a fine of 75,000 pounds of silver. And while I was busy doing something else, the prisoner disappeared. Well, it's your fault, the king replied. You've brought judgment upon yourself. And then Elisha takes off the band-aid and says, you're the man. But think about this. Cover to cover, the issue isn't always what we commit. It's what we don't do sometimes. So it's a good place to ask right here before we get into the healing part of this sermon. What are you not doing that you should be doing? Some of you, it's tithing. Some of you, it's praying. Some of you, it's reading your Bible. And it's a sin. You are, in God's eyes, the same as the adulterer. Ooh, that's heavy. It's our text. Let's think about this and bring it to a close because failure to not do what is right is not an option. First, do what you know you need to do. It starts there. What are you not doing that you should be doing? I mentioned for some years God would deal with me about reading faithfully the Word of God. I mean, deal with me. And and again, I I confess, I I was in the ministry. And I treated it as a textbook just to go to to get a sermon. And the problem with that is I needed inspiration all the time. And if you wait for inspiration, you know, it's miserable. It's miserable. If you're reading the Word of God, the sermons come much more easily. So life starts with what do you need to do first? What are you not doing that God wants you to do? That's where you start. Just to go and make things right. Samuel says to the people of Israel, as for me, 1 Samuel 12, 23, as for me, I will certainly not sin against the Lord by ending my prayers for you. But I, and I will continue to teach you what is the good and what is right. He says, I'm not going to sin by stop doing what I know I need to be doing. So you start by simply doing what you're supposed to be doing. And if you can't identify that, then crack your Bible. Just read your Bible. It'll tell you. It's not hard. But this is where some people, they make the mistake of saying, well, I'm, I'm doing okay. 
because I didn't kill anybody today. But what does God want you to do? What lines up with his word? Matthew 25, 29. And to those who use well the things they are given, even more will be given. And they will have an abundance. But to those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Jesus says, you know what? Do right and God will bless you with more. If you'll do what you need to do, just first start with what you know you're supposed to do. The second is, ask God. His voice is not broken. God will tell you. I love the story of the kids who find the money in the sofa that they wrestled with the right thing to do. And don't tell me you wouldn't wrestle with it either. I paid for the couch. What's in the couch is my couch now. Right? We would wrestle with that. When I was assistant, I think I was when I was door director on Cape Cod. Yeah, it had to be door director. There was a young man who was driving to work and he found a leather coat in the road. Thought, Leather jacket, nice jacket. Looked at it, $15,000 in the pocket. It was a construction company owner's jacket falling off the back. He had to pay for all the people in the jacket. When he returned the jacket, the guy kept asking him, why are you doing this? Why are you do- I would have kept it. Why are you doing this? I would have kept it. God will bless you if you do. Ask God, what do you want me to do? Acts 20 and verse, Acts 22 and verse 10, Paul is reciting his testimony and he asked, what should I do, Lord? And the Lord told me, get up and go into Damascus and there you will be told everything that you are to do. If you'll ask God, what do I do? What do I need to do? He'll be faithful to tell you. His voice is not broken. His spirit is faithful to show you what you need to do. This would help some people in your marriages. Just say, God, what do I need to do? If you started doing what you're supposed to be doing instead of just ignoring the problem, your marriage would probably go much better. Psalms 143, verses 8 through 10. Let me hear your unfailing love each morning. I am trusting you. Show me where to walk, for I give myself to you. Rescue me from my enemies, Lord. I run to you. Hide me. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your gracious spirit lead me towards firm footing. God wants to help you. He will talk. He will speak. He will give you clear direction. And out of that, the impact. The impact. One thing that Christianity is, it's for others. Your Christianity wasn't just so you can forgiven. 
but it was so that you can have impact on others. During the pandemic, one of the issues that began to take place was, was mental health issues. Suicide rates and drug overdoses went through the roof. A university student named Brooke Lacey had her own issues during the pandemic. Lacey won the battle against her depression. In the hope of helping others, the New Zealand native was inspired to create a batch of 600 signs that she posted all through her city. Please don't take your life today. The world is much better because you are in it more than you realize. Stay. She put these all over. She made bumper stickers. She hung these laminated versions of messages on bridges and overpasses next to railroad waterways around the capital of Wellington. She said she even tried inscribing a number on the bumper sticker. The sediment was the furthest thing from her mind now as years go by. So she's not even thinking about it. She finds a note on her windshield of her car, and she's expecting to find a note on how bad she parked or scolding her over parking techniques or something. But Lacey instead was stunned to find a handwritten note under the wiper blade that thanked her for saving the writer's life. The note read, I left my house with a plan, and I asked for a sign, any sign. I was doing the right thing when I saw your car in the parking lot. Thank you. For a moment, Lacey's mind circled back to the bumper sticker, and she tweeted later, I had made those so long ago, put one on my car, and forgot about it until now. I'm glad that whoever you are chose to stay. You'll never know who needs this reminder. She did something, and it had an impact on others. Had an impact on others. This is why God says, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, to him it's sin. It's just like if we had done something bad. But he says, you know what? Unlike what you did in committing things, because how many know when you commit murder, you can't undo it? When you commit adultery, you can't undo that. You can repent, you can try to make it right, but you can't undo it. But the wonderful thing about not doing right is you can fix it. You can fix it. By simply doing what God has already told you to do. And if you'll fix it, God will help your life. And that's the wonder of this sin. Is that it's so easily fixable. Just by obeying God and doing what you're supposed to do. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. You're here this evening. Maybe you're not right with God. You're not born again. You're not saved. Jesus Christ loves you.
died upon Calvary's cross, cares for you immensely. There may be a myriad of things that you're doing that you know are wrong. They're sin. They're bad. They're against what God wants to do. God has for your life. But the good news, the wonderful mercies of God is that He loves you, died upon Calvary's cross for you to forgive you of those sins. You can't undo them. You can't pay for them. But what you can do is simply reach out to Jesus and receive His forgiveness. Receive His mercy. Receive His Spirit in your life that you can be a new creation. And if that's you tonight, you're not right with God, you're not born again, not saved, not a Christian, and you want prayer, I wonder if you'd very quickly slip up your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I need Jesus Christ. I need to get my heart right with God. Very quickly, slip up your hand. Pray for me. Maybe you're backslidden. Maybe you did go out and do a bunch of foolish things and you need to get your heart right with God. The wonderful news is Jesus will forgive you again. Slip up your hand. Pray for me. I need to get my heart right with God. You're not saved. You're backslidden. Anyone at all. Very quickly. Changing the call then to Christians. The interesting thing about this sin is this is not a sin that an unbeliever would commit. They're already doing all sorts of things. James is writing this to believers. And as I, again, as I began to look at the Word of God, began to study this out, began to be fascinated by how many times the issue isn't what they did. It's what they failed to do. But the wonderful mercies of God The reason why James wrote this is that you and I can then begin to do what we need to do. We can make the decision, I'm going to obey God. And if you do, ask God to help you. He will. But this is what separates True believers from simply the religious. Religious pay lip service. But true believers act on their faith. To he who knows what to do and fails to do it, to him it's sin. But as you can take any truth, you can flip the coin. For him who knows what to do, and does it to Him, it is a blessing. That's the wonderful promise that is entwined in this Scripture, that we can do what's right. Let's all stand. We're going to open up these altars, sing a song, worship His name. I saw the Lord give Him praise.
the Lord of all. You're the Lord. Let's thank him this evening. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord. You are mighty. Oh, ra, 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 ra,